So I'm going to go ahead and he's going to just kind of come up and uh, introduce himself and uh, uh, share a few things. And then he's got a slideshow and he's going to kind of stay up here, I believe. And he's got his mic on so you can walk around, do whatever you want, brother. Uh, but uh, you just come on up and share what God's laid on your heart. We appreciate you coming. I know you've had a very long day, and we appreciate you being here, brother. All right. All right. Amen. Well, it is a blessing to be here with you tonight, and I uh, always feel at home when we come, I come back into the Ozarks. My uh, father is from Mountain Grove, Missouri, and so I would come down often in the summers and even during the school year would drive down and do some work there on the farm that we had there, and then uh, my wife, her father, is from Mountain View, Missouri, not to even closer here to us. So uh, we both very comfortable down here. And then I played basketball at uh, Southwest Missouri State, Missouri State University there in Springfield. And uh, so we even got to go south of the border here of Missouri a couple times down into Arkansas. I played some little school out of Fayetteville. I don't know if you know who those guys are. And then played over here in Jonesboro as well, Arkansas State. But uh, that was a long time ago, and God's work in my life to take me from being a basketball player, who really my goal was to come back to uh, the Ozarks. I wanted to retire early and come back and coach high school basketball, have a farm, uh, something like what my grandma had, and, and uh, live down in this area of the world and uh, with my wife. It wasn't I was excluding God, uh, but you know, I'd never asked what God wanted from my life. And uh, Julie and I were married. We were living out in California and involved with a church out there. And I had my sights on coming back here, like I shared earlier, to retire and, and coach high school basketball. And uh, long story short, God really showed me that I had never surrendered to his will for my life. Uh, even though I was a youth pastor, I'd been a deacon. I'd served in many different ways in the local church. And finally, uh, one day I was driving by the church and I just came back to the back of the church and I just said, God, I don't know what you want from my life, but whatever it is and wherever you want me to go, I will go for your glory. And not too long after that, there was a call to go to Lithuania and we went and we served there for about 10 years and the Lord allowed us to begin a couple of works there and a Bible institute there. And then we uh, came back from there, went up to the Kansas City area and uh, did a church plant there in southern Raymore area, southern Kansas City, uh, Faith Baptist Church, which is actually our sending church now. Um, pastor Mike Westberg is the pastor there. And then uh, while I was there, I, I met a fellow by the name of Neil Cadwell who had a ministry in Ukraine. And Brother Neil uh, was dying. And he said, Brother Derek, I need somebody to take my uh, place. And would you consider leading taking over this ministry. For a while, I, and I did, I felt God leading. For a while, I pastored and led that ministry, but then I became president in 2013, and then the Lord just made it very clear that we needed to move there, and so we went on deputation and moved to Ukraine in 2017. So what I want to do right now is kind of give you an, uh, an overview of our ministry right before the war, and then share with you what God is doing right now during the war. Uh, which is really fascinating. So if we can, we'll go ahead and we'll go through some of these pictures. If you didn't get a prayer card, I got some right down here and would welcome you to get a prayer card from me. We'd love to have your prayers. Go ahead and give the next picture here. Here you see a young girl holding the uh, heart. It's the color of the Ukrainian flag, the blue and the gold. The blue goes on top, gold on the bottom. Anyone know what those colors stand for when you see the Ukrainian flag? The blue is for the heaven above and the gold is for the fields of harvest. 
And uh, Ukraine is, uh, was called the breadbasket of the former Soviet Union. It's even been called the breadbasket of Europe. It's one of the top producing grain countries in the world. It is the top uh, producing uh, country of sunflower products in the world. And uh, so they, they have very many acres of rich, fertile farmland. Uh, but Russia has tried to slow that up and hinder that. I've read where and uh, seen even pictures, videos of harvesters out trying to harvest the wheat and the fields were set on fire by the Russians and the harvesters trying to stay ahead of the fire as it spreads. I've seen where tractors, they put mines out in the fields. Tractors have hit those mines. Uh, I've seen and heard where uh, they have had snipers that had shot at uh, farmers as they're trying to harvest. Uh, of course, you know, they've, they've closed up the Black Sea, not allowing the uh, Ukraine to export their harvest. Uh, so it's one of the top uh, incomes for the country, but also just the importance of their uh, exporting of their harvest is feeding the world and many nations that are really dependent on Ukrainian products. So it's going to be interesting next spring uh, when we start eating this past year's harvest, uh, what's going to happen, especially some of the poor countries. Uh, if the harvest does not get out. But that gives you a little bit of feel for the country. Go ahead and go to the next one here. You can see a grandmother out in the field with her cabbage and the smile on her face. And Ukrainians in general are a very gracious people. They are not, if you look in their history, they're not aggressive. They're not a people that like war or fighting. They never tried to take over other countries. In fact, when you're there, usually they invite you into their homes. Now, maybe not in the big city, but if you're out in the country especially. And uh, if you're in the churches there, they love to sing. Uh, Russians, on the other hand, uh, can be very nationalistic, very proud. And if you look in Russia's history, of course, there's a history of, uh, of that. So Ukrainians and Russians, while they're similar or related in that they're Slavic people, languages are related, uh, though they're Slavic languages, yet they are very different people in, in many different ways. So it's kind of an interesting contrast. Go ahead and go to the next one here. Here you can see the city of Kiev where Julie and I live and where we started a church called Living Hope Baptist Church of Kiev. And uh, anyone know how old the city there is? It's about 2,000 years old. So that's pretty old, huh? Yeah, it's an old one. We don't have anything that old here, do we? Uh, they, uh, there's a saying, if you want to upset a Russian, you can remind them of this saying, that uh, Kiev is the mother of Moscow. And uh, see, Kiev's about 2,000 years old. Moscow's only 1,300 years old. So Kiev's about 700 years older than Moscow. All right, go ahead and go to the next one here. There you can see our church. This was from last Christmas. We combined our services. We had at 10 o'clock a Ukrainian service, and at 12 o'clock kind of an English international service. We had a number of international students that were coming. The picture there you can see from Pakistan and India, uh, from China. Uh, we've had them from Iran, from uh, Africa, all over the world. We had a couple of, uh, one man that worked for the State Department, United States State Department that attended. We had another family, American family, that attended our service. We had a number that were coming to that. And uh, most of those now, all the international students are gone. They fled uh, when the war started. Uh, but it was really a sweet time. But our Ukrainian service also, we saw the hand of God. In the next photo here, you see a lady by the name of Tatiana, and she didn't come to church until she was invited her third time. Third time she received an invitation, she finally came. And uh, a few weeks later, she got saved. A few weeks after that, she shared with Julie. She said, you know, uh, I, I, before my salvation, I didn't care to sing, but now I just can't sing enough. And, uh, you know, the Lord puts a song in our heart. 
Pray for Tanya. Her husband, Alexander, is not saved. He has come to some services, so pray. He's more agnostic, so pray for him. And, uh, and pray for the church there, Living Hope Baptist Church. Uh, go ahead and go to the next photo here. This young man right here, Dima, uh, his wife, Erica, little daughter, Abigail. Uh, Dima is leading the services now for the church as I'm traveling back here in the States. And God has really been blessing. Uh, go ahead and go to the next photo here. This was from just a few weeks ago when I was there. And you can see the church packed every Sunday. Uh, they have between 60 and 90 lost people in a service. Uh, so many of these coming from Ukrainian Orthodox type churches, which Ukrainian Orthodox uh, would teach a works-based salvation. You have to keep the religious traditions. You have to be a good person and all that. And so people are coming because they want to hear hope. And the Orthodox Church has no hope. Uh, but you know what? The Bible does have hope, does it not? We have a living hope in Jesus Christ. And uh, so it's really been amazing. We've seen decisions uh, that have been made for Christ. And so pray again for the church. Pray as God is working and just for God's hand upon Dima and uh, for what God is doing there. Go ahead and go to the next photo here. Here you can see the original reason that we went to Ukraine, Slavic Baptist Institute. We just celebrated 25 years of ministry last year. And we have pastors and different ones that have graduated in all different facets of ministry. And we praise God for that. One of the things we were seeing God do was a work in the world concerning missions through some of our students. And pray with us that God would, deliver, would continue that and develop that. Go ahead and go to the next one here. Uh, if you see there, uh, look right underneath the for the, come down south of that, and you see Turkey, the first blue country there. Right above that, that body of water is the Black Sea. And right above the Black Sea there, that land, that's where Ukraine is located. So it's located right on the precipice of the 1040 window. Does everybody know what the 1040 window is? Uh, that area over northern Africa into Middle East, coming to Southeast Asia and Central Asia. But in that, in that window right there represents the majority of the world's unreached population, somewhere around 4.5 billion people uh, without the gospel. Unreached means they have no potential right now to hear uh, and so there's a great need there. We have a couple of our students, go ahead and go to the next one here, uh, praying about going to the country of Tajikistan there in the teal color, just north of Afghanistan on the very bottom. And uh, Tajikistan, 97, Muslim country, 97% unreached with the gospel. Now, I didn't count tonight as I drove from the hotel over here how many gospel preaching churches I passed, but you have a few here in West Plains, right, that present the gospel. Well, you've got areas there of literally thousands and hundreds of thousands without any gospel preaching church. And uh, so pray for our two students praying about that and for God to open that door. Next one right here. Uh, there you see the country of Laos in Southeast Asia, uh, just on, uh, in between Thailand and Vietnam, just south of China. And uh, this is one of five communist countries in the world. And I just share with you about it because I had a Ukrainian national pastor came said, Brother Derek, I have a burden. Somebody recommended that I talk with you, but I have a burden for Laos. I've met somebody there, and I'd like to see a Bible to help train pastors there. So he and I, Alex, made a trip to uh, Laos, and long story short, God began the Lao Bible Institute. Go ahead and give me the next picture here. So four times a year, uh, we gather in Laos, again, one of the top 25 most persecuted nations in the world, but God opened a door. And we've got anywhere from 50 to 70 pastors that come. And we're able to teach them uh, just the biblical principles and truths of God's word. Every time I go there, I go to teach. But every time I leave there, I leave the one taught. 
because I learned from them what it is to commit your life to Christ. Uh, two sessions ago, I asked the men, I said, how many of you have spent time in prison for your faith? About 40 to 50% of their hands went up in the air, uh, willing to suffer and have suffered in prison because they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. If I ask that question tonight to us, I don't think anybody here has spent any time in prison, have you? No? And uh, see, we've got things, we're kind of easy going here in America, right? And that's kind of why we have a Laodicean spirit. But over there, I got on my phone, uh, in fact, they came in last night, just a number of pictures from a little uh, uh, village church, house church that was started. Uh, we helped a little bit with that. I've spoken there a couple of times in the house church. And uh, just what God is doing. They, they used the time to invite a number of the village to come for a Christmas celebration so they can tell them what the true meaning and why we celebrate Christmas. And the pastor there wrote me that they had six saved last night. So there are people getting saved in Laos, and I'm very excited about that ministry. In fact, pray for me as I prepare to go over there in uh, January for our winter session. And I could spend the whole time just speaking about this ministry, but we don't have time. All right, let's go to the next one here. Here you see Ukraine. Now this is right before the war. And you can see how Russia was amassing troops on the east side. So Ukraine shares a border with Russia on the east side. Down in the south, you see the Black Sea. You see that striped area called Crimea. When did Russia occupy Crimea? Anybody know? That was in 2014. And they also occupied an area up the eastern side there where it says Donetsk. There's an area there called Donbass. They also occupied that in 2014. So really the war between Ukraine and Russia has been going on for about eight years. Just it went to another level of intensity February 24th of this year. And you, again, we saw the troops, Russian troops, beginning to amass on that eastern side around the city there of Kharkiv to the east. And then up on the Belarusia side, you see Russia, Belarus, well, they crossed over into Belarus willingly. Lukashenko, president, allowed it to be. And Russia amassed many, many thousands of troops there with equipment. And when the invasion took place, they tried to take Kiev. And they got, I've been in that area, Bucha and all up in there. We've done some evangelism up there. That was occupied by Russia for about 34, 35 days. Uh, and they came to the very edge of the center of Kiev. I mean, and I, I still don't know that if they know why or what stopped the Russians from coming in. I would say it was the finger of God, but uh, they did get stopped, and I'm very thankful for that. Um, but that gives you an idea of, of what it looked like before the war, and then February 24th, everything changed. Go ahead and go to the next one here. You'll see pictures from Ukraine. If you were to move the color, you would think you're looking at pictures from World War uh, two. And I know we have a brother here who served in World War II and saw some of that devastation himself. But, uh, I mean, it's just something I have never seen before. And I don't know that we've seen since World War II. Uh, just the devastation and the death and all that you see, destruction. It's just hard to imagine how cruel man can be. Go ahead and go to the next one here. This was a maternity ward in Mariupol, the city there. And a Russian missile hit right in the middle of that. Uh, this dear lady right here, both her and her baby died. Uh, very sad to report. But uh, you see where schools uh, have been bombed. You see where uh, apartment buildings have been bombed. Many civilian areas uh, have just been hit and many civilians killed. Go ahead and go to the next one here. Here you can see a father. Uh, this was just from a few weeks ago, holding his dead son's hand uh, under the tarp. Son killed by shrapnel, I believe, from a missile. 
but can you imagine? I mean, just, again, the death and destruction. Go ahead and go to the next one. You see buildings like this. In these apartment buildings, anywhere from 500 to 1,000 people will live. Go ahead and go to the next one. And you just see building after building, home after home, just destroyed in these areas. It's estimated that somewhere around 12 million Ukrainians have been displaced from their homes. 12 million. Now, see, I tell you that number, and, uh, and it just sounds like a number to us, but I'm just telling you, since World War II, we've never seen anything like this. I mean, when they had the hurricane down in Florida, uh, just what, a, a month and a half or two months ago, it was like 800,000, I think, were displaced for a temporary period of time. But here, you're, when you're looking at places like this, how are you going to rebuild that? Just to give you an idea of 12 million, that would probably be adding uh, Missouri's what, about 6.5 million, and then you take uh, Arkansas and Oklahoma, add all three of those together. All right, to get up to 12 minutes. So all of Oklahoma City, all of Tulsa, all of Kansas City, all of St. Louis, all of Fayetteville, and all the different places there. In our, I mean, just tell everybody, you have no place to live, go find a place to live. Where are they going to go? Nobody. It's going to be hard, huh? And so that's kind of what Ukraine is faced with right now. Go ahead and go to the next one here. Uh, this is an apartment building in Kiev. I was here this Sunday morning, and I was getting ready for our Sunday morning service. I was in my office and I heard the three booms. I looked out through my office window. I saw the smoke coming up uh, from this uh, apartment building being hit. And really, there's no place that's safe in Ukraine. On that eastern side, it's more dangerous. On the eastern side, closer to Russia. But really, anywhere is not outside the reach of a Russian missile. Uh, almost all cities have been hit in some capacity uh, in Ukraine. Go ahead and go to the next one here. Here you see this lady. We were up in her region, up in northwest Kiev region, and we had an evangelistic meeting up there and gave out some aid, and she wanted us to come see her home. Go ahead and go to the next one. And here you see her home, completely flattened uh, by missiles that had hit. And she shared about, she was outside, the missiles were coming, and she saw one literally, she said, hit her nephew. And she said, he just disintegrated in front of me. And then I looked back to the house. I saw my grandson coming out of the house, and he was missing an arm. And her grandson did survive. But just, the, again, the devastation that those people are, are living through there, very, very difficult. Go ahead and go to the next one here. Here you see this man weeping. If you're between the ages of 18 and 60 and you're a male, the country is under martial law. So you're not allowed to, to leave. You have to be there. doesn't mean you're going to have to serve, but you have to be available if they need you to call you up. And I'll say this. Most Ukrainians want to serve. They want to fight for their freedom. I've seen things like, uh, well, we have no water, we have no gas, we have no electricity, but hey, praise God, we have no Russians. You know. And so I think what many of them are saying is I would rather die fighting for my freedom then live under the tyranny of Russia. I read of a grandmother, uh, 74 years old, uh, out, this is right before the invasion in February 24th, practicing with a rifle, and her name was Svetlana, and they said, well, why are you, why are you out practicing with your rifle? She said, I'm gonna fight for the freedom of my grandchildren. So I think as Americans, you know, we would be able to respect that, right? Uh, and what, what's happening over there, and people that want freedom, you see, Folks that are my age, maybe a little bit younger than me and older, they remember communism. They remember the tyranny of communism. These older folks over there, they remember communism. They don't want to go back to that. 
Uh, they want to have freedom. We see some people in our streets, and they're just ignorant. Ignorance means lack of knowledge, and uh, that, that want communism and socialism in our country. They don't know what they're talking about. I've been in Laos, right? I've been in former Soviet Union. I'm just telling you, it's a merciless society. It's cruel. It's, uh, it's just very mean-spirited. It's anti-God in every way, and uh, it's terrible. So Ukrainians right now are, are fighting for their freedom. Go ahead and go to the next one. Here you see uh, in the middle there on the tan code is the director of our charitable fund. We founded a charitable fund there called uh, Living Hope for Ukraine. Sergey in the tan code, he's the director of the fund. And these men that are there are pastors from our network of churches with Slavic Baptist Institute. Uh, go ahead and go to the next one right here. Uh, here you see some more students and pastor, a pastor there, uh, again, associated with our institute. Uh, the guy there in the striped shirt is a doctor uh, who studies at our institute. He, has op he and his wife is a doctor as well. They've opened a free clinic in that Kharkiv region to treat people. Uh, the one there in between me and him is Vitaly. Vitaly has a beautiful uh, baritone voice. And when I'm in country, I travel, he, he sings, and I get to preach, and he's got a wonderful voice. But he's just a wonderful man. And uh, we helped him with a vehicle. He is driving to deliver uh, medicines and aid to people that are living in these areas where maybe now there's no public transportation, there's no drugstore in that area, and you've got older people there, and they just, how are they going to get medications? Some of you here tonight, you've got medication you take every day. What happens if you couldn't get to the drugstore? What happens if the drugstore was blown up and there's no, but no drugs there? How are you going to get your drugs? And so he, is, uh, he drives, Vitaly does, to help some of these and to take aid to them. He's just a, a joy and risks his life to do so. Uh, but he is a joy and just a, he loves the Lord and I praise God for him. Go ahead and go to our next one here. Here you see a map of the country and as you look at it up in the upper left of Ukraine, you see the star, that's the city of Lutsk. That is where our charitable fund is located, where Sergei, the director, lives, but he also has a Christian camp there and that camp we've taken and we have transitioned it to be a winter uh, made it uh, habitable for winter time. We have about a hundred refugees from eastern Ukraine that live there in the camp. But from Lutsk, we either buy in that area or we'll buy in Poland or we'll get some uh, aid from Romania. It'll come up to Lutsk. We'll take those big semi-truck loads. We'll break them down and we'll drive, distribute the aid across the country to our churches, to our pastors that we know and associated with through Slavic Baptist Institute. When the church receives the aid from us, they'll take it, they'll break it down, and they'll put it in plastic bags. And then they'll might, they might have 150 or 200 bags, or maybe more, and they'll go to one of these areas on the edge of the war, these areas of need, and they'll go and they'll distribute the aid with New Testaments, and most importantly, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, we give you this aid in the name of Christ. Christ loves you. He's providing this for you. But he provided something greater for you. He provided it for your greater need, which is your soul and eternity. And uh, he loves you and wants to save you. Anyway, it just provides an opportunity uh, to share the gospel. Go ahead and go to the next one here. There you can see on the camp uh, some of the refugees eating there in the dining hall. And the next one here, you see some children. Uh, next slide, children here that are there in the, uh, can you imagine how their lives have been turned upside down, uh, leaving their homes and schools and playgrounds and now living 
uh, in the western side of Ukraine at our camp. But listen, these are the fortunate ones. We have many calls that we, we just can't help people. And uh, I mean, many. And it's really hard. What do you tell people, right? How do you help them? Uh, we have calls from people wanting aid. And uh, Sergey told me, I think it was last week, uh, he had some days there. He spent five to six hours a day fielding calls, people asking for aid on the phone. And uh, it's very hard, but we have to, we can, we're limited in what we can do. But God is, I mean, provided in miraculous ways. But it gives you a little bit of a feel for what's happening there. Go ahead and go to the next one here. Here you see some of the drivers that drive to deliver the aid. I wanted you to note the one over my right shoulder there, uh, Vlad, in that right over the right shoulder, kind of heavy set guy. He gave us two of his trucks to use to deliver aid with. Uh, and uh, without charging us anything, we just had to maintain them. Uh, he would even sometimes drive the aid, but he himself not saved. And this night that I was there, and many of our refugees that live in the camp are not saved. Uh, but today they were in a church service today on the camp, and, uh, and we've seen some of them respond to the gospel. And this evening we had an evangelistic meeting for the refugees, and Vlad was there. At the end we gave an invitation, and Vlad came forward with tears rolling down his face. Really something to see a big, heavy truck driver uh, coming down the aisle to receive Christ. But God changed his heart. Go ahead and go to the next one. And the next day, he shared with me. This is the next morning. He said, something has changed in my heart. And we know what that is, right? That's the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit of God working for the glory of Christ. Uh, here you see a picture. Uh, this is probably about 14 or so miles from the Russian border up around Kharkiv when I was there. And uh, you see, it was raining that day, and we had a group anywhere, 50, 60, 80 people that gather. And we just tell them, we have aid, but before the aid, we have some things we want to share. And, uh, and we just preach the gospel to them and give them the gospel. And then we give out aid with New Testaments. But something interesting about this meeting, after the meeting, I don't know if it's the same day or a little bit later on, but one of these people came and asked one of our pastors, would you start a Bible study here? This, this village has no church. And isn't it fascinating to see during a time of war uh, a church plant? Go ahead and go to the next picture. This is only about eight miles from the Russian border. This is north uh, of Kharkiv. And here we have a group of somewhere, we estimated between 12 and 1,500 people. And again, there's Vitaly singing. Uh, Albina played her violin. And uh, we had the opportunity to preach and share the gospel. And uh, to 12, 1,500 people. Where, where do you find open doors like this to share Christ? And there were some people that made decisions that day. And then we gave out New Testaments and aid. And later the mayor of this village came and said, listen, we'll give you a building for your Bible study. So there's a second church plant taking place during a time of war. Uh, one of our pastors, in fact, he was in one of the earlier pictures there. Uh, he was contacted by a secular uh, government-run refugee center. They had 450 refugees in their center. And this director called him and said, listen, I don't care what you teach from the Bible. In other words, what he's saying, he's probably Ukrainian Orthodox, and he's saying, I know you're Baptist, and I don't care what you're going to teach from the Bible. Just you teach whatever view you want to teach, but can you give these people hope? And our, of course, we've got the answer for hope, don't we? It's the gospel. And so again, just open door after open door after. Is it a hard time? Yes. Is it dangerous? Yes, it's very dangerous. For those people that are living there every day, I mean, very dangerous. But yet is God working? 
Yes, even in the midst of war. One of our pastors who's on staff at SBI, uh, our institute, he's a Ukrainian man. And uh, by the way, he pastors the church on the northeast side of Kiev. And he told me the other day they had 400 lost people in attendance on Sunday. That's not their total attendance. That's just the lost people that came that Sunday. Uh, but before the war started, he wrote to pastors, he wrote to some of our students, and he said, so remember, that you, the Russians were gathering on the border. He said, is this going to be a war, or is this only a rumor of war? He said, I don't know, but I know this. The Lord told us in the last days there would be wars and rumors of war. So whether this is going to be a war or whether this is just a rumor of war, one thing let us continue doing regardless. Let us keep preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he, he and many of those pastors have been faithful to do that. Go ahead and go to the next one here. This was an area, uh, northwest Kiev region, and uh, just a, we had probably 100 or so that gathered here again, music, preaching. Uh, and then afterwards, we hang around to meet people after we give out New Testaments and aid. We meet people, we hear their stories, maybe try to direct them uh, to the Word of God, uh, and just love on people. And uh, we were here maybe 20, 30 minutes after the meeting had ended and aid had been given out and we were meeting. And a little girl rides up on her bike. And here's the next picture of her. And uh, she had this bottle of milk from their milk cow. Now remember, this area had been occupied by Russia for about 34 days. And if you read anything about Russian uh, soldiers and women, it's terrible what, what happens. But she wrote up and she said, uh, my mama asked me to bring this to you and thank you for coming today. I tell you, it's the greatest love offering I've ever received and the sweetest milk I've ever tasted, right? And uh, just kind of special. It gives you a little, again, window into the heart there. Go ahead and go to the next one. Here you can see some men as we, uh, street meeting that we held, and again, New Testaments we gave out. You can see them, the color of the Ukrainian flag on the outside of the New Testaments. And I don't know that I've ever been rejected uh, after the war has begun when giving out New Testaments. They all take them. They all want to read. What's, what's the hope? I mean, it's just amazing. You know, you've always heard that statement, there's no atheist in foxholes. Uh, I see that living out in Ukraine right now. Go ahead and go to the next one here. In fact, this lady right here, her name is Oksana. We came to her street, and we did some evangelism there. And uh, afterwards, she came and listened to what she said. She said, before the war, I was an atheist, but now I find myself praying to God. Uh, she said, thank you for coming today. Please come back and tell us more. Isn't that amazing? And there you see her taking a New Testament. Pray for Oksana. Go ahead and go to the next one here. Here you see a group of ladies and my wife there with them. Uh, the, the lady there in the blue, I think her name was Maria, and we had been on her street on doing evangelism, and afterwards she came and, and basically said, I want to get saved. I want to receive Christ. And then that night, she and these other ladies came to an evangelistic meeting that we were holding in a neighboring village. And that night, at the end, we gave an invitation, and these ladies came forward to receive Christ. Now, listen, if there's no war, I doubt these ladies ever come to Christ. Right? I mean, if there's no war... Uh, I just don't know that. It's, I mean, these ladies would probably, every one of them counted themselves, I'm Ukrainian Orthodox. But you know what the war has done? It, it tears away the false facade of religion. And it leaves you just desolate 
and you're searching for a place to rest your faith because that place where you had it resting, it's just crumbled. And, of course, Christ is the only rock upon only foundation, right, on which we can build and, and lay our faith there. Uh, so it's really wonderful and marvelous. Go ahead and go to the next one here. Here you can see a truckload of aid. This is about 11,000 pounds of dry goods. This would be uh, some buckwheat and, and uh, flour. Maybe we'd have uh, canned meats here. We would have uh, pasta, just things that don't require refrigeration to get to people. And uh, this shipment of uh, about 11,000 pounds costs about $7,000, but that will feed uh, somewhere around six, 700 people for two weeks. So uh, what we'll do is when, when, as the money comes in and as we, uh, as we have the shipments, we buy, we'll ship to the churches, the church will receive it, they'll break it down, they'll deliver it. And with it again goes the gospel. Now, do you have to have the aid to preach the gospel? No. But I'm just telling you, when you have aid, more doors are open to preach and more hearts are open to listen because they see that you're concerned for them. Listen, they're going through hard times, right? And they're seeing your concern and you're saying, look, I give you this in the name of Christ as I shared earlier, but now let me share with you something greater that Christ did for you. And they're going to listen and they want to hear what you have to say and why you believe what you believe. I mean, I've never seen anything like this in my life as far as open doors and opportunities and people being so open to listen to the gospel and those responding uh, to the gospel. Go ahead and go to the next one. Here you see one of Lot's trucks and one of our drivers to deliver the aid. Go ahead and go. The next one, this was a group. And look at that line of people lined up. Uh, these guys, one of the churches there wrote and said a while back that they had 800 people that waited, I think it was uh, two or two and a half hours in line for one loaf of bread. 800 people, can you imagine, for one loaf of bread, two, two and a half hours. But yet that day they got to hear about the bread of life. And so in meetings like this, when they gather, the gospel is preached. Go ahead and go to the next one. Uh, this was when we were there uh, just in the city of Izum. Izum had been occupied by Russia for six months. And we came in, I think it was five days after it was liberated. And these people had no gas, no electric, no water. About half the buildings were destroyed by war. Uh, there's not one doctor in the town. I mean, it was just crazy. These people were really in need. There was one Baptist church in this town. It had been directly hit by a missile. And uh, so we didn't know anybody there. And we just came to the center of town and just said, hey, uh, we're here. We have some aid. But before the aid, we want to share some things with you. And uh, we got some words we'd like to share. And we had some music. And then we preached the gospel and gave out New Testaments and gave out aid. And just look at the, look at the crowd that you get, right? So uh, this is the city in Izum that had the mass grave. I think there were 447 bodies in that grave. And only about 30 or so of them, 35 of them were Ukrainian soldiers. The rest were civilians. And some of the civilians had their hands tied behind their backs. I mean, they were executed. So just really, again, hard and difficult. Go ahead and go to the next one here. Got to meet a number of uh, Ukrainian soldiers in hospitals, wounded soldiers, and share the gospel with them. And I love doing that. And, uh, and you can see the camouflage New Testaments that we gave to them. So it's neat to see God working in, 
in their lives and uh, praise God for their service. Go ahead and go to the next one. So pray for Ukraine. Uh, pray for the pastors as they, as they work, for wisdom for them, uh, just for, for Ukrainian uh, believers, that they'd have a real sense of the presence of God with them uh, as, they, as they live there. And, and for the uh, lost Ukrainians, uh, just to have, just in a greater way, the clarity of Christ, to see their true need of Christ and just for power for the gospel to go forward there. And also, go ahead and go to the next one here. You see the flag upside down, which means distress, right? The country's in distress. But the last one here, you can pray for us and for our fund, Compassion for Ukraine. Uh, I've been going to churches. I think we've been somewhere around 100 churches since the war began physically. And then we've been in others through Zoom and, and virtually in other churches. And that doesn't include the international trips we've made <laughs> to Ukraine. So we've been trying, and many churches have given very faithfully. Uh, our supporting churches, some have given multiple times to help in Ukraine. And I'm very grateful for that. We're now going out to some foundations and trying to raise funds through foundations. So if you know of a foundation uh, that we could present the ministry to, we'd, we'd love to do that. But just pray for God. He's been very faithful. And uh, this is beyond me. I mean, I could have never dreamed that uh, God would have provided like this. I'll share this. For example, with the Red Cross, you give a dollar to the Red Cross, only 11 cents gets to, the, gets to the field. About 89 cents is used for overhead salaries and buildings and so forth. Uh, for Samaritan's Purse, um, about uh, every dollar, about 35 cents gets to the field but about 65 cents goes to pay for overhead and salaries and vehicles and buildings and so forth. For us right now, we've been able to give 100% of what comes in. Uh, my wife does all the accounting work. She does uh, maybe on average, I don't know, four or five hours a day of accounting work just for the charitable fund there as we, she records receipts and payments and so forth. Uh, and so we would appreciate your prayers, all right? Any, anybody have any questions about Ukraine or about what's going on there? Or did I just answer all your questions? Yes, ma'am. I was wondering whenever the uh, guys, we know that you're going to bring the aid in, that kind of thing, does it come into a riotous situation? Well, for the most part, yes, they stay calm. But when we were in a Zoom there, I mean, they were really in need. And I was a little bit fearful. I mean, you could tell it was a different level, uh, but we were able to get them settled down and we told them, look, we'll have the aid. And then we had to have a very hard line because you didn't want people in line and then you don't have aid. And the aid was going out quickly, you know, as it was going out. So, uh, but yeah, that is something to keep in prayer because that, that the hungrier people get, the more struggles you can find with that. Yeah. So, yes, sir. Well, we had a, there's a vehicle there. It had bread in it, and they were passing out bread to people as they would come by. They would give them either bags of bread or a loaf of bread as they came by. Like a, like a bread line, yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and if you have places that have no electricity, I mean, how do you bake the bread, right, and areas like that? So it, it's hard. It's very hard. Anybody else with a question? Yes, ma'am. Um, the, the ones, the students that go to the university, a lot of them speak English. Uh, I would say English is a very popular language, 
And Ukraine wants to join the West. They want to join Europe. They want to join NATO. So English is a language they want to learn. But if you're out like in the, in the countryside or in the villages, you're not going to hear it. You're going to have to speak either Russian or Ukrainian. Yeah. All right, I saw another hand. Yes, sir. That's in Ukrainian. Right now, you cannot bring Russian language into the country. So they, that's become illegal. And you can imagine why, because Putin tries to get his propaganda in uh, there. But also, when we're on that eastern side of the country, that is predominantly ethnically Russian. Like Kharkov, and you go down that eastern side, a lot of ethnic Russians there. They're Ukrainian citizens, but they're ethnically Russian. And, uh, but what we've seen is since the war began, is people even on that side, they'll say, preach to us in Ukrainian, we want a Ukrainian New Testament Bible. So you see them even kind of, uh, they're upset and they've kind of had it with Putin and with Russia. And really it's surprising to me that Putin really bombed that eastern side of Ukraine so hard because those were ethnically Russian people that he was killing, that he was bombing. Really hard to understand. It's very satanic, I would say, in its origin. Yeah. Anybody else with a question? These have all been good questions. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. Well, I think if there's ever been a war, you know, we've been involved with wars that were a lot that were a lot more questionable than this one. To me, this one's very clear. I mean, it was it was just an innocent country, and this other country just decided to start bombing them. And I think if at a minimum, if we would have provided the air support that they wanted, the war would probably already be over. And Ukraine was saying that, look, we'll provide the foot soldiers, we'll do all the work, just give us coverage from the air. Yeah, and I think it would be over by now. So in some ways, we've given them enough to continue the war, but we haven't really given them enough yet to win the war. And uh, that's where we need to come to, and, and NATO needs to decide what they're going to do. But in the meantime, these innocent people are yeah, going through a very hard time. Yes, sir. Well, and a good question. If we can buy it in country, we do because it's so much cheaper and we don't have to pay any shipping. So products that are in country, for example, we've bought a lot of this last month, we bought a lot of canned meat. So canned meat, it's kind of uh, like the Amish, you know, how they'll can their meat and you can just open it and eat it directly from the can. Uh, and so, but that was processed and done in Ukraine. So that was much cheaper. If we went and bought that in Poland or someplace in Europe, it'd be a lot more expensive. So while we can, we try to buy there, but we've had uh, containers come in uh, from Romania. We've had shipments come in from Poland where we bought some things in Poland. Yeah, so, uh, and what was your other question? Yeah, um, I think last time we looked at gasoline, it was, uh, I wanted to say it was about the same as what we were, pretty close to what we were paying here. 
But the, the Gurivna, which is their money system, has lost, uh, you know, as you can imagine, since the war began, it's lost a lot of its value, and the dollar has been stronger. So that's helped us in purchasing things in country. That's helped us. The purchasing power has been a little bit better, yeah. All right? Yes, sir? Uh, the, well, the money, what we do is we gather the money here and then we wire it from the clearinghouse uh, to, uh, we have an account there in Kiev and we've still been able to use our bank account. And then from there, Julie can send it through the pre-vet bank to wherever it needs to go to pay bills. No, the workers have all been volunteer. It's pretty amazing. Our drivers, we're not paying them. It's all volunteer work that they're doing. So it's been amazing, yeah. It's gotten harder and harder, and there are times when we can't reach, can't reach anybody because electricity is out and so forth, but they still do have uh, cell coverage when the electricity's on. Sometimes it's not as good as it used to be, but you can still get it. When I was in country there, I could still use my cell phone. It was pretty amazing. And, uh, and they still have Wi-Fi uh, at times. Again, not as strong as it was before, or as available maybe as it was before, but it's been amazing that you can still use those things through the war, yeah. So, and pray for our trip in January, gonna uh, go over, and Julie's gonna go with me to Laos and, and for our session there at our Lao Bible Institute, and then we're gonna come back, and she's gonna come back to the States, and then I'm gonna, I plan to go into uh, Ukraine. And uh, for a couple of weeks, we're gonna try to hold a session of our institute, I don't know how many students we'll have, and I don't know how that's even going to work uh, when we're there. But uh, pray for God's blessing in that, and of course for God's protection, and then also just for, uh, just for opportunities, uh, open doors. I'm going to speak to you just for a moment here, but uh, to preach the gospel. I was, I was told that uh, I'll have an opportunity to preach to uh, like groups of soldiers, not wounded soldiers, but just groups of soldiers. And, uh, and also we hope to do more of what we did last time. Just it's, it's pure evangelism. And I want to tell you, it just, it's a wonderful thing to proclaim Christ. It's good to have the answer to people's problems, right? And when you have Christ, you have the answer. And uh, it's wonderful. Hey, just look with me for a moment, all right? And I'm sorry not to preach a little bit. You know, this is my fourth time to speak today. My throat's a little bit dry here. But Second Thessalonians. Chapter 3, look with me in verses 1 and 2. 2 <coughs> Thessalonians chapter 3, in verses 1 and 2. It says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. And Paul is saying here, look at Paul, he's, he's, he's uh, collecting prayer warriors. He's asking churches to pray for him. We find him doing this in, F, in the book of Ephesians, in Colossians, in Romans. He says, strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Paul was a missionary, a sent one. I mean, he was an apostle, but he was taking the gospel out. And, it, and he knew to complete the mission that God had given him, it was going to require God's people praying for him because the mission was greater than Paul. Paul couldn't do it in his own strength. Paul had to have the hand and favor of God upon him. So he's recruiting people to pray. And look specifically at what he asked prayer for. Number one, 
that the word of the Lord may have what? Free course. In other words, that the gospel would be unhindered, that there would be open doors of utterance. As we saw that 1040 window earlier there, uh, do you realize that today, what, about 8 billion people in the world, that uh, it's estimated that 70% of the world has never heard a clear gospel presentation. That means only 30% have. Now listen, what would you say if you got a 30% on a final exam? What grade do you think you would get? We're in Missouri. Yeah, what, we're in the show me state. What's your teacher going to say, huh? Yeah, that's right. Now, we're out in California. Those people are a little different out there. They might give you an A. I don't know. So if you're not a good student, that's probably the place for you to go. But, uh, but here, listen, on the, on the Great Commission, Christ commanded the church 2,000 years ago to take the gospel where? To every creature. And we've only hit 30%. Listen, folks, we're failing, right? We're failing. And so how are we going to see the gospel of Christ spread into all these places in all the world. Well, I'm telling you this, it's going to begin with prayer. With God's people getting on our faces before God and just saying, God, we have failed. We have not been obedient, right, to your command. And Lord, we need grace to finish the mission. And here is my life, whatever you want from me, I make myself available to you. Whatever resources I have, I lay it all before you. Just complete the mission for the glory of Christ. All right? That's number one. Number two, what's his second request? And be glorified even as it is with you. So not just for the word of the Lord to have free course, not just for the opportunity to preach the word of God, to preach the gospel, but for it to be received, for it to be uh, believed, for hearts and lives to be changed by that gospel, for that gospel to be glorified in the heart. Listen, we need the power of God. And if we've ever needed the power of God in America, we've never needed it more than we need it now. You see the lethargy in our churches, and you see the hardness of hearts and our lost culture that surrounds us in America. Well, what's going to melt those hearts, and what's going to take away, melt away the lethargy that's in our churches? It's going to be prayer. And listen again, prayer changes things. Prayer brings God into the equation. Prayer brings the power and hand of God. I was reading a story of a, a man in uh, James Stewart. He was an evangelist in Latvia. This is before World War II. And he was in a church. And he said he preached that Sunday morning, and it was just blessed by God. And just uh, fruit just born for the glory of God in the message and through the service and decisions that were made. So that night he was invited to come back and speak, and he returned early that night because he wanted to pray. He wanted that same hand of God in the evening service, and he went downstairs in the basement of the church to get alone. It was dark down there, but he could see a light where the furnace was over in the corner of the basement. He walked over towards the furnace, and he said as he got close to the furnace and to the light, he saw three ladies laying on their faces, on their faces on the basement floor. I mean, didn't care about their dresses, right? They're laying on their faces, and they were calling out to God, praying, asking God to bless. And he said, Stuart said, at that moment I understood why I had such power this morning when I preached. My friends, that's the power we need today. That's the power your preacher needs when he preaches here. 
That's the power that's required to see souls brought to Christ. Listen, I worked in sales before God called me into, uh, into ministry. And I could learn to sell the product, right? My advantages over my opponent's disadvantages, right? But you can't sell Jesus. Doesn't work that way. It requires the power and hand of God. The Holy Spirit of God must be at work. Paul told the church in Thessalonica, when I came to you, I didn't come in word only, but I came in power and I came in the Spirit. My friends, I need the power of God. When I go to Laos, when we go back into Ukraine, I need the hand and power of God. There are hearts that are lost and in darkness. I can't reach them, but God can. And the gospel can. The word of God can. But I need the spirit of God working with the word of God, right? So I would covet your prayers. And then the last thing that he asked for, he says, and that we be delivered, verse number two, uh, from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Paul here is asking that uh, he would be kept, guarded, preserved by God. Uh, he does this in 2 Corinthians when he says, you laboring together by prayer for us. He's, and, but basically, if you look in context, he's talking about them praying for him and for God to protect him. Listen, when you take this gospel into the world, you're confronting the world with the truth of the gospel. And people aren't going to be too happy about that. When you come someplace and you say, you know what, your, your system of belief is wrong. There's one God who created all, and there's one way to that God through his son, Jesus Christ, who bled and died on that cross and then rose three days later from the grave. Salvation's only through him. There are no other ways. You're a sinner before a holy God. You need to repent of that sin. You need to trust in Jesus Christ. Well, that's not always, look at Paul. Was he very popular? We need to get over this thing that the world has to like us, all right? The world doesn't have to like us. I mean, I want to love them, and I want to show them the love of Christ, but I'm not called for them to like me. I need to share God's truth with them in love. And uh, Paul is saying here, pray uh, for us in that way. And just let me close with this thought, because as a church, I saw your missionaries back there on the board, and praise God for those men and women that you're supporting. But it is a missions is a team effort. And, and your church has recognized these men and families by sending them and supporting them, God's call in their lives. But that's not your end to your support of them. The biggest and most important part of your support of them is your prayers to God for them. I've shared with you three ways tonight that Paul shared how specifically you can pray for them, right? And, and for God to bless them. But I'm just saying, things are not going to happen in those countries unless you're praying here from West Plains. Your prayers will make a difference. Now, here's what I want to close with this thought. Exodus 17, Joshua is to go down into the valley with the army of Israel to fight against the Amalekites. He has the sword, right? The army of Israel to fight. Where is Moses? Moses is up on the hill. Moses has his hands lifted up to God, which represents what? Prayer, dependence on God. With Moses' hands were up, what's happening to Joshua? He's winning the battle. As soon as he gets tired and his arms come down, what happens to Joshua? He starts losing. Then Aaron and Hur come alongside Moses, help him to keep his arms back up in the air again until the victory is won. So here's my question. Where was the victory won? Up on the hill, right? All right, you have missionaries. They have a call of God to go down into the valley for hand-to-hand -hand combat. And that's kind of what missions is like. 
And they willingly go because that's God's call and God has blessed them to do that, called them to do that, so they go. But for us who are called to stay and remain behind, what is God calling us to do? To go up on the hill and to lift them up in prayer. And just as dependent as Joshua was on the prayers of Moses, Aaron and Hur, so your missionaries are dependent on your prayers this evening. I'm telling you, there will be souls reached in heaven through you being on your knees here in intercessory prayer for these missionaries and for the countries they represent. You can make a difference. And your missionaries need your essential prayers for them, okay? And your prayers can accomplish great things. So brethren, pray for us. And if you didn't get a card from me, I'd, I'd love to give you a card and we would just deeply covet your prayers. And if you want to be a part of our uh, prayer letter list, we'd love to just send me an email. We'll add you to the prayer letter list as we keep it updated, okay? Let's have a word of prayer. Pastor, you come. Father, thank you for this time together. And thank you for the mercies of your word. Thank you for the freedoms we have in this country for the privilege it is to serve you. Thank you for the tool of prayer and how prayer can change things. Lord, just stir our hearts to be a people of prayer and to pray more fervently for our missionaries and their families and for your glory to be known in all the earth. Lord, open doors of utterance. May the word of the Lord have free course. May it be glorified and empowered. And God, may you protect your servants and especially protect our Ukrainian team and pastors that are traveling all over the country in harm's way. Keep them and preserve them, Lord, as they do your work for your glory and praise. In Christ's name, amen. 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 All right, good, Brother Brad. So